Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks. You? Good, thank you. You had a good week? I have had a good week. I had a super busy week. On Sunday, it was all about the Zooms. And it's not been like that for quite a while. But I spoke at a Zoom conference. I performed at a Zoom gig. And uh, then I was on the radio and it was like lovely and sociable and interesting, but also very remote. I think that's an overhang from lockdown, probably, that whilst we can now get more access to things via Zoom and things like that, it does make it a bit more remote. It was sort of lovely to be able to see people from far and wide, you know, and they were interesting things. The first was a conference about Jewish feminism. And then I performed in a gig which was fundraising for Ukraine. And uh, then on the radio chatting about like news stories. But yeah, it did bring back those memories of maybe 18 months ago when that was the only option that we had to do that sort of thing, as opposed to being able to opt to go out on about and see people or to choose to stay in if we wish. I think sometimes there's something to be said for both. I did a gig this week, which is one of the Jewish things that's happened to me this week. There is another I'll mention briefly, but I did the Mayor's Gala Dinner at Harrow Civic Centre. It was opposite Wembley Stadium and I'm kicking myself I didn't walk on that stage and go hello Wembley <laughs> I did that um, one second when you say you did the mayor's dinner what um, did you mean you cooked I, him an egg first of all it's a her so well done on your feminist <laughs> uh gig that you did <laughs> the other day and then assuming the mayor had to be a man but anyway it was a woman it was called the mayor's gala dinner not they haven't patronized anymore by saying the mayoress's gala dinner and i've been asked to do 15 minutes of comedy as part of the evening they were raising money for parkinson's uk and for cricklewood library and it was Mm -hmm. a pleasure to go and do but quite interestingly halfway through my set i did my joke about my grandma where i mentioned her name it's a funny joke it's a lovely moment and as i finished the joke Someone shouts out from the audience, I think I know your mother. No way. So it turned out he went to my synagogue and recognised my grandmother's name when I was reading that part of the joke out, then shouted that out. And midway through my 15 minute set, we just have a conversation. It becomes a really <laughs> lovely, funny moment where we just have a conversation whilst everyone else is tucking into their starters. And um, it was just a really bizarre heckle, like very specific. Not did we go to the same synagogue? But I think I know your mother. That is amazing that someone, not just that they came to find you afterwards and say, you know, oh, I think I might know your mum or are you related to this person, that person, but to shout it out in the middle. And also when people are eating, like, you know, to leave his food or her food. Well, yes, and there's something very depressing about starting your stand-up set as the starter gets served because you know you're not <laughs> going to be the focus of anyone's attention at that point. So it was very nice for him to call out. We did have a little chat afterwards, and I did remember him. And then I immediately phoned my mother on the way home from the gig in order to tell her the news. This actually leads into my second most Jewish thing of the week, because my family have had a WhatsApp conversation going on about how much I mention certain members of my family. And there is one member of my family who believes that I have neglected to mention them. So the whole WhatsApp chat was, I'm seven minutes in and this person's had a mention, they've had a mention, they've had a mention. What, on our podcast, you mean? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think you meant like in life, but they, oh, they're no. literally tallying up how many they mentions they get on here. That's right. So in previous episodes of the podcast, I have clearly mentioned my mother, my sister in New York and her new baby. I think my brother must have come up. And there's one member of my family who has not been mentioned. And obviously from an ethical point of view and from a peacekeeping point of view, I feel I should mention them now. However, from a comedic point of view, I'm not gonna. So Rachel, <laughs> what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? <laughs> I'm really worried that now I'm connected to a big broigus that's about to begin in your family. I don't know if I want to collude with you. I think it's safe to say that in any family, broiguses don't begin because they've always been there boiling under the surface. So all you're doing really is we're poking the bear. And <laughs> Was it the bears that I've got mentioned? Who knows? But let's see if they really do listen to the podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll update you next week on the WhatsApp conversations.
Excellent. The most Jewish thing about my week has been helping my parents with their move away from the UK because they made Aliyah, they emigrated to Israel a few years ago, but they had a flat still in London that they used to stay in. It's where they moved kind of in between leaving the home I grew up in in Chigwell and making Aliyah. And now they've finally sold that flat and a new life begins for them where they don't have a base in England anymore. They just have their home in Israel. You know, like that's quite a big life change, but it's also meant like going through loads of old things and, you know, inheriting little bits and pieces that they don't want to get rid of, but they also don't want to take with. So, for example, we're coming up to Passover soon and I got the brass bowl and jug that my grandparents used to use for washing hands during the Passover Seder. Yeah, so it's been a bit of a trip down memory lane. And I think it's brilliant for my parents to be able to focus on their life in the Holy Land. I think that's really lovely and quite fitting that we're talking about your parents finalising their move to the Holy Land. When for the show we have this week, 50% of those involved are in the Holy Land. We are in the UK, but our guests are coming to us from Tel Aviv in Israel. And we didn't want to start this episode without reflecting on the news we've been hearing out of Israel in the last few days, which is that a number of deadly attacks have taken place, including the latest one, not so far from where our guests live. So we're sending our thoughts and compassion and good wishes to all of the families involved in these really very terrible and dark times. Our guests this week are Holocaust survivor and TikTok celebrity Gidon Lev and his partner, Julie Gray, who's an editor and writer, and they've written his autobiography together. But they were the most incredibly loving couple. We've not had a couple on here before, or not that we've known, as as co-guests. And they were very inspiring, not just because of their life experiences, but in terms of their relationship, which was just the most beautiful thing to watch. It really was like watching Wendy and Peter Pan retiring together. It was (laughs) It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think you're going to love this episode. Well, let's listen to them now. Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox, so with two weeks to go, I'm starting to prepare my home for Passover. And I'm Reform, so with two weeks to go, I'm starting to prepare my belly for Passover. This show is the audio equivalent of the Oscars, full of anticipation, beautiful outfits, and the coda is often overlooked by an unnecessary broigus. In each episode, we chat to two of our favourite Jews about their lives and experiences growing up, and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they kosher smarties or downing street parties? Welcome to You Talking to Me. Before we introduce our guest, it's a very exciting first for our podcast because we have two people in the same room at the same time for reasons which are about to become obvious. Our first guest is Gidon Lev, a Holocaust survivor, optimist and quite flabbergasted TikTok star. And our second is writer, editor and the love of Gidon's life, Julie Gray. Welcome. Thank you so much for having Thank us. Thank you very much for having us. You are very welcome. And also to explain to our listeners, you're not coming to us from here in the UK. You're in Israel. That's right. We live in a glamorous Ramat Gan. It's a <laughs> suburb of Tel Aviv, but it's, it's really beautiful and we love it here. You're very welcome. It's beautiful and very artsy, as far as I recall. I have a lot of writers. I'm well, we've got two right sure. here. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> no, it is a historic um, place here in Israel. And uh, yeah, we love it here. It's got a lot of parks. And Ramagan was originally where the Jewish Iraqi community was settled in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. They used to call it Little Baghdad. So there's tons and tons of Iraqi Jews here. And a lot of the cafes in our area serve kube and all this delicious, spicy Iraqi food. So it's actually a, a really cool part of Israel that a lot of people don't know about. We're going to have to visit. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that we like to find out how our guests describe their Jewish background. You know that Rachel's Orthodox and I am Reform, but we want to know about the family you grew up in and what kind of Jews you are today. I was born in 1935 into a very secular uh, family in Czechoslovakia and the western part of Czechoslovakia, which was called Sudetenland. And as you know, Czechoslovakia was only born 
1918, the end of World War I, when the Austro-Hungarian Empire fell apart and Hungary, Romania, Austria, Czechoslovakia were born. And I was living there and grew up in a family that on one side they spoke German, on the other side they spoke Czech. So I learned actually two languages at the same time. But it was assimilated, right? A very assimilated? A very assimilated family, yes. Mm -hmm. So we have Orthodox, we have Reform, we have kind of secular, secular, assimilated. Well, let me throw this down. I am a Reform <laughs> convert. <laughs> da, da, da. 35 years ago, I converted for the reasons you're not supposed to, but because I was in love with a Jewish man and who was himself very assimilated. He grew up in L.A. But suddenly when it came time to get married, he wanted to get married under a chuppah. So I said, that's cool. I've seen Fiddler on the Roof. The Jews seem like really nice people with great food. I'll do it. So I went through a conversion process that lasted about a year. You know, people put down reform uh, conversion, but I had to meet with a rabbi every single week. I had to go to temple every single week. I had to take these other classes every week for a year. I had this reading list of like 30 books, but the, it was a reform uh, synagogue, so they didn't have a mikvah. So I, um, when I converted, they put me in the ocean. This is in Santa Barbara. Uh, a wave crashed over me. I almost drowned. Um, but yeah, so I converted and then I, and then, you know, we were married and I raised two children. And so for me, a, a Jewish identity was something I had to discover along the way because both of my children went to Hebrew school. They both had a bar and bat mitzvah, but this was all new to me, giving them a Jewish identity that I didn't have. So I moved to Israel 10 years ago. And for a long time, I felt really um, self-conscious about saying I was Jewish because I'm a convert, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't quote look Jewish. And I felt really self-conscious about that for a long time. But now at my age and having lived in Israel for a decade and raised two beautiful Jewish children, both whom are getting married very soon. And my son in particular is having a very Jewish wedding. I feel like, yeah. I'm Jewish. I've I've put in the time and the work. Um, I see myself as sort of tagging along in the people, Jewish people, um, because I'm not religious, and um, you know, it's it's not how I was brought up. But I've been Jewish for 35 years. It's interesting what you say about people thinking that reform converts aren't converts, but you've met with the rabbis. That phrase, "There's no zealot like a convert." It's it's very true. As someone who's born Jewish, I can just turn up and do what I want when I want, and I'm still part of the gang. People yeah. have to prove themselves much more to be converted, and therefore often are much more involved. So you are very welcome, not only yeah, on our staff, but with I, our people. I, I welcome her with open arms. <laughs> and in my family we're like there's four kids me and my siblings and we are three blondes and one ginger and none of us look jewish so clearly i think you go back in everybody's heritage there's all kinds of stuff lurking around there so for all we know you're like the descendant of some kind of major rabbi and it's just your little spark coming back and my ancestor was some cossack yeah. you know 200 years ago well i i tell you i i'm not uh religious at all but you know i do feel i have a jewish uh neshema I really, I really soul. do. She has. I do. Um, the Jewish soul. Yeah, yes. I, I definitely do. But, you know, not, quote, looking Jewish. Yeah, because ethnically, genetically, I'm not. Mm. But this this puts me in a great position sometimes because sometimes people will say to me, oh, you know, you don't look Jewish. And I'm like, oh, what do Jews look like? Go ahead and describe <laughs> that to me. Oh, you're describing maybe my son who looks like his Ashkenazi father or, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and I catch people out all the time. I sort of do a lot of work on that level. Oh, you don't assume what my identity is go ahead I invite you to tell me about Jews and then it's like whoops surprise <laughs> I've had a lot of very similar conversations mm -hmm. and it's really fascinating to me I don't know if I've told this story before on the podcast maybe I have but a few years ago during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival there was an opportunity for different comedians to be photographed by members of a local photographic society so that the people in the society get to practice in different lighting and different areas and it was all very sweet and you had to just sign up and then turn up at a certain certain day in a certain place and there were all these random comedians and performers sitting on the steps outside this building and then each photographer had been allocated like four people would come and say call out a name and then be looking around then you go off with them to whichever spot in the grounds they'd chosen and I think it was the third guy who came to collect me to do my photo as we were walking along 
he said, I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit disappointed, which is always a bit distressing to hear if you're a woman about to have your photo taken. And I said, oh, what are you disappointed about? And he said, oh, when I heard I was taking a photo of a Jewish comedian, I expected you to have a really large pronounced nose, but your nose is quite normal. <laughs> oh, and I right. Said, okay. Okay. And he said, yeah, because I kept thinking about how I would place you so that the light and the shade would move across your face. And I was thinking, how big does he think this nose is going to be like to make such a difference in the picture? (laughs) Did he think he'd lie you down and turn you to a sundial? (laughs) Well, so it sounded. It was just the most weird thing. I said, you you understand that is an anti-Semitic trope that Jews have massive noses. Like it's not, it's Mm. not true. People have different sizes, shaped noses, depending on who they are, their genetics, where they're from in the world you know whatever and he just went oh no I just wasn't being rude I just thought it would make an interesting picture I was a bit I, thrown I think they probably think of Cyrano de Berger <laughs> <laughs> maybe I was going to disappoint him if that's who he was expecting on so many levels <laughs> I, I just wanted to say something uh, the whole business of being Jewish and how to be Jewish and where to be Jewish and what does it mean I must honestly admit I spent four years in a concentration camp even though Religiously, I was absolutely not Jewish from that point of view, but I always felt like a Jew and I suffered because I was a Jew. And only coming here to Israel in 1959 did I feel, oh, this is a new way of being Jewish. Come to your own country, start working in in the fields, milk the cows, become a real person who is Jewish and tied to the land of our ancestors. And even though I'm not observant, I love our many holidays, with Hanukkah being the love of all my holidays that I like, because it represents so many aspects of being Jewish and fighting against oppression and creating your own land and country, that makes me feel totally Jewish. Well, I got to say, I want to add something to this because I'm a convert. I'm from America, California, to be specific. I've lived in Israel for a decade, which is not a short amount of time. But I come from the diaspora, right? Mm. And my ex-husband and my in-laws and my children and so many of my friends in LA and in New York are diaspora Jews. And since I wrote the book about Gidon and we've been working on the podcast for that, I was just working on the episode about kibbutz and uh, Zionism and the new Jew, right? After the war, this idea of a new Jew who was self-determined living in the land of Israel. But this all brings about this interesting question. I mean, one of the things I love about being Jewish is that you could study Jews and Judaism and history and culture and food for the rest of your life and you would still never know it all. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So for me, the diaspora is a place of such rich contribution to what being Jewish is. Living in Israel is different, especially living in Israel today. So it's it's a really, really interesting mixture. Living in Israel, of course, you feel Jewish in a particular way. But I think the diaspora contributed so much to Judaism. It's priceless. You cannot even begin to, to sort of describe what being Jewish is without describing the whole of it the history of it and the diaspora. I think that's one of the things that's fascinating and a big challenge for people when they try to define what is a Jew because it's an ethnicity, it's a religion, it's a culture, it's a faith. It's so There's so many layers to it. And because of conversion and the fact that we don't promote conversion, but once you're in, you're in. um, (laughs) And not only that, there's a responsibility on the existing community to become the family for a convert and to look after them and to make sure that they feel included. I think that's why people who are racist find everything very difficult about Jews. Yeah, right. It's it defies Judaism defies uh easy categorization and we've seen a lot of that on TikTok lately of people trying yeah. to figure out who Jews are and what Jews are. Yeah, it's I, I have good. noticed actually on your TikTok in the past few months it has changed slightly from educational and interesting to having to defend against people who are being quite racist, anti-Semitic. A lot of your videos are incredibly informative and helpful because the comments that people are sending your way are not. Yeah, it's not easy. It's very complicated. Exactly.
But we'd also love to hear a little bit about how you two met and what your story is. You want to tell a story? So I had been married for 40 years to also an American Jewish woman, and she died 10 years ago. And after that while, uh, my friends told me, why don't you start writing down? You have so many stories, so much history. Write it down if this will be for your sons and your grandsons and grandchildren. I said, okay. So I started writing down. So I wrote some 70, 80,000 words. And then I said to myself, well, now how are we going to make this into a book? And I started searching for an editor. And it's a long story, but that's how I met Julie. And it was just a discovery that brought us together in a way that is really surprising. Yeah, like our story together is a, a ness. It's a miracle. We are such peas in a pod because I've been a writer and an editor for many, many years. I've written in the Huffington Post, the, the New York Post, the Times of Israel, many publications. And I worked in Hollywood for a long time as a lowly story analyst. Uh, lowly, <laughs> lowly, lowly. Let me, let me emphasize that word. Uh, but I was good at it. And I worked for some really big production companies. But I edit fiction. I write essay, but I edit fiction. So I meet Gidon. You in know, this cafe. Well, that was on the phone first. You call, oh, yeah. He called me. And um, he said he'd written this book. And the minute he said that, I knew I couldn't help him because I don't edit life stories, like legacy stories, they're called. I, I don't do that. I've never done it. But I thought, you know, he, he told me on the phone he was a Holocaust survivor. And I thought, you know, I owe him a cup of coffee. I mean, come on. I, <laughs> I, I can't take this work. But, <laughs> but I, I, you can't say no to that. So I meet him in this cafe and he's so cute and so funny. And he's just like this Peter Pan or Don Quixote type of person to me. And I just liked him so much immediately. Like I wanted to be his friend. I just thought this guy is adorable, but I, I couldn't work on the book. I said, there's people do this work. It's not me. I don't know enough about the history of Israel. I don't know enough about the Holocaust to handle such a thing. And also Gidon had written his life story in a very detailed way. What's in the book now is like probably a third of what he'd actually written. But um, I called him a couple days later. And I was like, do you want to have another cup of coffee or cake or something? And he said, sure. See you in 30 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, Once no, you bring cake in, like yeah, it's next level. Cake. <laughs> yeah. Who is it? Strudel. We actually had so we just clicked i don't know what it is i think it's in hindu that the phrase namaste mm -hmm. the light in me sees the light in you there was something about uh we too that we recognized in each other as kindred uh, don't you think it was more, a little bit more than that because more than imagine that. an 80 what is that 82? 82 82 year old man <laughs> comes to a cafe and there's this pretty young woman all smiles outgoing just that alone attracted me to Julius. So we had one coffee, then we had another coffee, then I didn't give up on the book, and then together with that developed our relationship, and here we are. Well, you know, what I do want to mention, um, it's really important part of, of our story, though, is that Israel's a small country. Everybody knows everybody. And I wound up a couple months after Gidon and I were going out um, having <laughs> coffee in Jerusalem with Yossi Klein Halevi. I don't know if you know his work, but he's a pretty amazing author. He wrote Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor and Like Dreamers. So I'm a fan and uh, we met for coffee. And I told Yossi the story of Gidon and I and this book that I couldn't help him write. And he said, you have to write this book. I will be your mentor. You're writing this book. So Yossi provided a huge um, push. push because he he said, the story about you and Gidon and about this book, that's your book. So that advice from Yossi uh, changed the trajectory of everything. So I do want to give him a shout out. He's a, a writer and an author that we both deeply admire, but he got behind this project before it was a project. Your story is Whatever so beautiful. I, I love the idea of this, the coffee and then the endless coffees and then strudel. I think all relationships should work like that. Oh yeah. And then he comes over to my apartment. We lived not too far from each other with this huge toolbox. Like, I don't know how you got okay. those tears. And he goes, okay, I'm going to fix some stuff in your apartment. I'm like, okay, you need a shelf here. You need, he just sort of adopted me, <laughs> you know, and then he'd be like, dude, you know, I'm getting groceries tomorrow at 10. I'm going to pick you up. We're going to do that together. And I have to say, this is funny. We were just grocery shopping yesterday. We've been living that together now for, I guess about four years. Four and a half years. Yeah. So we were at this crowded grocery store yesterday in Ramadan. We split up as we do. I'm over in the dairy section. He's over getting bread or whatever. And we meet up and he goes, okay, I have some stuff that I already got, but I hid it somewhere. So you take the cart and we'll go back and find my hiding place and then add my stuff to your basket. <laughs> I love this man because he's playful and he's ridiculous and he does stuff off the cuff and it works. 
And he takes chances in life. He's not cautious, the opposite of cautious. Well, yeah, I think your description of him as Peter Pan is very fitting for what I've seen on the <laughs> sure. Super charming. He, he tries everything. He, he does the trends. It's a fascinating follow. For those of our listeners that aren't following yet on TikTok, it's, it's True Adventures. You know, definitely check them out. It, it's a very, very good account to follow. What could be more Jewish than interrupting our own show to remind you that back episodes of the podcast are available on all of the usual platforms as well as our website, dotalkingtome.com. And as well as catching up on things you've missed, why not be the first in line to hear all future episodes by subscribing to our Patreon? For just a small monthly donation, you'll get exclusive access to free gifts, bonus footage, live events, and much, much more. This is your chance to support the podcast, in return for which we'll keep doing what we've been doing, as well as putting out extra content just for you. To find out more, just go to patreon.com forward slash dotalking without the G. Go on, it's what your mother would want and now back to the show i think actually philip and i were first discussing you Gidon, when i said to him like we both went on tiktok at the same time philip and i and after about two weeks i said to him i, I can't do this i find it too i'm too old for tiktok it's too confusing there's too much stuff going on i can't cope with it and he said to me do you know that there's this holocaust survivor Gidon, he does the dances he does the whatever and it was oh yeah, yeah he's down i'm the one that watches all the tiktok and, and thinks what should we do and it's hard you know it's a bit no, soul-sucking to yeah. spend a lot of time looking at tiktok much less making your own content, but kind of deciding what content you should do. But if I say, Gidon, I have an idea. If you duet this guy and do this move, what do you think? And he's like, okay, well, he'll do it. It's... <laughs> I mean, the account is both of our account, right? So the face is yeah. mostly Gidon, but the person behind it all is me. And I occasionally post stuff, but we never post anything that we both don't understand and have I an opinion about or don't agree with. Mm -hmm. no. This morning, just to, a little example, she says, Gidon, can you put on your tap dancing shoes? I have tap dancing. I did tap dancing a year ago, two years ago. I but said, sure. that was because I was working on the podcast today and there's something about tap dancing. So I recorded him tap dancing. And then we said, hey, you got your shoes on? Let's tap dance. But the text I put on that TikTok yeah. is, you know, that things are really hard and overwhelming and confusing and let's dance. Let's dance. Let's just dance. Let's dance. But for an example, it's like you want to put things in context of our account. And mm -hmm. right now with this war going on in Ukraine, it's like we're, I feel really stymied. Like, how do you talk about Holocaust? remembers in education in the midst of this yeah, horrible it's very, war. It's very complicated. Maybe we will find a way. You have a TikTok account. <clears throat> You're trying to stay relevant and create content. The reason we got on TikTok in the first place was because we wrote a book and we wanted more people to know about it. That was it. Also, I post a lot about, I have for years now posted so much about Gidon on Facebook. I'm describing what he does and the, the funny adventures that we have, like the camping trip, the flat tire, all of it. And so TikTok provided another platform to show people, to really show them visually, this guy that I've been talking about for years. We wanted people to buy the book because we think we have a great story and one that's really important. And then we started getting all this anti-Semitism directed at us on TikTok, which is when we shifted and said, hey, whoa, what is this? What is going on on TikTok? And then now, you know, with an account that's grown quite a lot, you really take a moment and say, what is our How account? Do, what What's our lane? Do? What yeah. do we do? What's relevant? We still bottom line just basically want people to buy the book. That's, that's our thing. <laughs> I don't consider myself an educator no, on TikTok, well, you know. It doesn't matter whether you consider that. But we are trying our best to have a place where we can express that we do not support hate, violence against anybody that's right whether it be against jews blacks transgender, transgender whatever and that what hate leads to is what we had in the second world and yet there's so much feuding and there's so much hate on tiktok it's like walking across a minefield if you, you say this you could very easily put a post on tiktok that says i love how blue the sky is today yeah. And you'll get somebody who's colorblind yes. <laughs> who attacks you for not including them in your discourse. It, Absolutely. My children are colorblind, so I, I feel I can reference that quite comfortably. Huh. You know, if I talk about color, I need to be conscious of what they see and how they interpret different colors. But that is how tricky social media has become. Mm -hmm. And we give a platform to people who think so differently that 
it's clearly conspiracy theory, Looney Tunes, whatever you want to call it. We kind of have to justify defending right rather than... Oh, it's so stressful. I had an experience like that recently on Facebook because I'm sort of known to be a big fan of an Australian soap opera called Neighbours. I've been watching it its whole lifespan of 37 years. So if you were looking for the last known viewer, you found (laughs) them. (laughs) About a week ago, there was a big announcement that it was coming to an end. Oh, I saw that. Because they lost their funding. There's been all these different campaigns. But loads of people messaged me and tagged me on posts because when the announcement came out, people were sending me the news articles and uh, making hilarious comments. I was getting WhatsApp messages going, you know, thoughts and prayers and shall we set up a meal rotor for you? So <laughs> I put a post on Facebook that said, thank you to everyone who's offered thoughts and prayers and sent me condolences. And at the end of it saying, I can't remember, so I have 20 more minutes in my day to do something now that Neighbours is ending. But I, I kind of made a little joke about it. And I had uh, loads of funny comments from people about the show along the lines of what Philip said about the last remaining viewer. And that's why it's, of course, ending. <laughs> and then I got a few from people saying, I've had a bereavement. I don't find it funny that you're joking about the end of a television programme. And to be honest, I felt bad because I would never want to hurt anybody's feelings. And I appreciate that if you're feeling raw and sensitive because of what you've just been through then my silly you know facetious bit of nonsense probably was not in good taste for that person but what we haven't developed and I'm not judging the people who made those comments and I actually contacted them individually and said to them you know I I understand and I'm sorry but we don't have any more a policy of you could just scroll past something like you don't have to be offended you don't have to engage with content that you're not interested in or that you don't like you could just scroll by everyone feels they have to comment on everything as you're both aware you can come into your personal life too and and people think because you're mutuals on TikTok that you should have an opinion about it. And it's it's just a super, super minefield if you're trying to just basically do good, right? And not do harm. That's that's how we feel about our TikTok. Like just just buy our book, do some cute dances. We don't want to cause harm or add to drama, but it does come off the app and it's it's just a really difficult sometimes you don't you don't have control over everything. You, you don't know? have control of everything. Yes, it's, and it's, that's that's the way the world you is. You know what what's hard for us, I think that's a real challenge coming up is that our account is only as good as the next war we have in Israel. Interesting. People know that we live in Israel and we get a fair amount of free Palestine, uh, you know, Zionists or you know, terrible things. And we wrote about it in the book, but our feelings about the politics in Israel are complex. Gidon actually graffitied a Bibi Netanyahu sign a couple years ago. Thank God he was not arrested. Um, But like, we're both like left-leaning liberal Israelis. But the discussion around Israel, the minute you say that word, talking about Jewish identity, talking about what's politically correct to talk about, talking about complicated, complicated subjects is one that we've been hit on the chin with a couple of times. It's something I I worry about on TikTok because we, you know, we say we live here, we show Israel, we show where we live, but um, it's it's rough to address. There's a famous saying in Israel is, yeah, everything will be okay. And when they tell you that, then you begin to worry. Because you know, <laughs> when Israeli okay. tells you things are going to be okay, you should be scared. <laughs> One of the things that we always love to discuss as Jews is food. There's no conversation that exists without it, as we've demonstrated ably by hearing about your coffees, about the strudel, about how many cafes and bakeries there are where you live. So, Gidon, what about you? Do you have a favorite traditional food from growing up, or is there an Israeli food that you love? Do you remember? a great big argument where people threw plates of strudel at each other. <laughs> so first of all, considering the fact that I come from Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. and that I was a little boy when I left, I was only 13 years old and three years before that I had been in a concentration camp. So food was not something that I really had, period. I have some favorite Czech foods, but wow, they're okay. not very Jewish. But I do love latkes. And I make very good really good. latkes during Hanukkah. Sometimes for a whole family, that means something like 50-some latkes. He just but, did a show with Adina Sussman, that amazing Israeli chef. Her people kept texting me, what is the recipe? We need to write it down for the show notes. What is it? And I was like, oh, I got bad news, guys. It's flour. It's a pinch of this. Only you don't know his recipe. And I make them very well. Yeah. And I love to make them. And I also make my own homemade 
applesauce. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, right? and we made a really nice brisket for Hanukkah this year. We had the whole family over. I, having lived in LA for 10 years, love good Jewish deli. Corned <laughs> beef and the pastrami and the giant pickles. And we don't have that in Israel, and it's heartbreaking. I love Israeli food. But for me, in my first marriage, you know, my ex-husband made great brisket and his grandparents who had come from Ukraine owned a deli in LA. So it was the coleslaw and the tuna salad, as they used to say, and the brisket and, and all that stuff. So very and Ashkenazi. Real corned beef sandwich. Real corned beef. But in Israel, that's been the bane of my existence here, that you can't get a good, delicious Jewish deli sandwich. Real corned beef The sandwich. way you could in LA or New York or Toronto where you don't live. I used to go to visit my mother, and one of the reasons I went there every year was just to have a really good corned beef sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> we once went on a family holiday to Cornwall. We were staying in kind of converted flats in what was the barn of an old pub, like a coaching inn. Very, very, very old place. They'd and they turned it into little holiday flats. But they had tiny fridges and freezers, not suitable for Jews. So I contacted the landlord of the pub and I said to him, is there any chance that you might be able to put some stuff in the pub fridge and freezer for us because we're a Jewish family and we need to bring our own sort of meat and things with us? And he replied, on one condition... I lived in New York for a year and I became obsessed with New York deli pastrami sandwiches. He said, I absolutely love that kind of meat. So if you can bring me a packet of that from somewhere, from one of the Jewish butchers, you can store whatever you like in the pub freezer. (laughs) So we did. We bought him two packets, one with peppercorns on the outside, one without, and some rye bread. (laughs) He was very happy. Honestly, that it was, I felt like that was a big mitzvah. That's amazing. (laughs) But I have to say the food in Israel is fresh, delicious food. And as I said, our neighborhood has a lot of Iraqi Jews. So really spicy stews and soups and the the kube that I mentioned before. The Mitzrahi Jews in Israel contribute so much to the cuisine. There's a place on uh, close to where we live that serves big bowls of ful. It's an embarrassment of riches of this amazing Middle Eastern Middle Eastern food. Between that and the Arab foods, uh, amazing, amazing, you know, lamb chops. You make me really hungry. I know, we just (laughs) speak. Oh, God. We live right around the corner from several of these places. I love to hear about you making the latkes there, Gidon, because you said the Hanukkah is your favorite festival. And I do always think that if you're cooking with love because you're like you're happy about what you're cooking for and the people that you're cooking for, it comes out in the food. Yes, it does. I also make good chicken soup. Very good. I mean, but that's a battle I'd be willing to take on. What, what's now, your what's the you, secret? You said the key word now. That that's fighting <laughs> talk because Rachel is very proud of her chicken soup. Uh-huh. <laughs> what's what's now, the secret of your Rachel, I have a question. Do you make your own matzo balls? Or do you, because that's of course. not an easy thing to do. You're right. It isn't easy. And yes, I do. Because matzo balls from a packet, mm-mm. My grandma would be spinning in her grave and she'd find a way to come and slap me around the face, I think. No, definitely make it. I make everything from scratch. I don't use sports stock. I don't use cubes. Everything is natural. But there's a big battle in the world of matzo balls, right? Do you like it denser or fluffier? We're kind of fluffy people, I think. I like fluffy with a slightly yeah. dense center. It's like, yes, yes. Right in the yeah. middle. It's a bit like when people center. have chocolate brownies. You know, when you have a chocolate brownie, yes. you want it to be yes. sort of squidgy, but have some kind of structure just in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Chocolate brownie soup I can get on board with. <laughs> I do have to tell a human story. My, gr- my grandmother-in-law, Ethel Glassberg, born in Boston, her parents had come from Ukraine, but she and her sister, Clara, had this competition at Passover. So you either had the matzo ball or you had the gefilte fish. And the first Passover I ever had, I was like 18 years old, and there's this huge Jewish family in LA, and Ethel would go around the table and say, okay, who wants the matzo ball or who wants gefilte fish? And I was like, I'll try the gefilte fish. Oh! Julie doesn't want the matzo ball because I was <laughs> and, uh, Clara, her sister, made the gefilte fish. And I didn't realize that if you did not choose the matzo ball, grandma was very upset, very upset. And mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget. Julie doesn't want the matzo ball. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I do. I do want it. I, I didn't realize it's a thing in this family of big, these two sisters and which are the appetizers for, for Passover. <laughs> That's an absolutely unwinnable situation. You can't win. No, no win situation. 
one of the reasons I was so drawn to your TikTok account and your story is because my family were also into Raisin during the Holocaust. And my dissertation when I was at drama school is entitled Culture into Raisin, the Model Ghetto. So although I don't anymore have a digital copy, my question that I asked was, did the cultural activities in the Theresian ghetto during the Holocaust raise the spirits of the Jews incarcerated by the Nazis enough to increase their will to live, thereby saving lives? Remember, I was a fairly pretentious 21-year-old drama student <laughs> when I wrote that. But I, I interviewed some Holocaust survivors. I went to Theresian. I went to Yad Vashem. I went to Bet Theresian, the museum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. You've been to. So for me, it was a journey. For my dad, who came with me on a lot of that, it was also a because it was his family that were taken from Königsberg and Gdansk to Theresienstadt. So for me, meeting you and having that connection is what I would consider a fascinating six degrees mm -hmm. of can't eat bacon to some extent. And at some point when we're perhaps off the podcast, I'll come and have a lutka and we'll chat uh, all, right. all days as well. But are there any interesting Jewish connections that you've made in your lifetimes or even since starting the journey to tell your story? I tell you, the very fact that I came to Theresien before I even turned six years old and survived for four years there made it a very unusual and different experience for me. I hardly was aware of what was going on in the rest of the camp and the pain and horrendous suffering that took place was doubly important to me be now because I realized that the musicians and poets and actors and directors who took part in Theresienstadt to do performances, sometimes for the Germans themselves, the day after or the week after, these same wonderful people were sent to their death in Auschwitz, Treblinka, and other places. It brings the point of not cynicism, what would you call it? Um, insidiousness. Insidiousness to a level that is almost unimaginable. And the people didn't know that they were being sent to their death. And the fact that I had a grandfather who was a violinist, he had, he had a viola and must have also played and then was sent to Warsaw and probably Treblinka. It is almost unimaginable. And the people there sometimes express things as we create, we know that we are alive. Mm -hmm. So they were suspicious of what would be happening to them. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, while they were performing, while they were singing, directing, play acting, they felt alive. And as long as they were alive, they could perform and do. And that's what kept them doing it, even though they had suspicions that they may not live through this horror. I have a Six Degrees of Bacon moment, and that is that Gidon met Yehuda Bacon, who is a famous Israeli artist, who is also a Holocaust survivor, uh, when we were working on our book. And they sat together and they spoke German with each other. Do you remember meeting Yehuda? Yeah. Yeah, and they talked about Glimmer, um, which is the, the German word for mica. There was a mica factory at Theresienstadt. And Gidon's mother and many other slave laborers had to chip the mica for the Nazi split, war machine. Split. Yeah, and uh, so it's called Glimmer in German. And Yehuda and Gidon had this conversation about Glimmer. This is maybe about three years ago in Jerusalem, but that's my six degrees of bacon moment is meeting famous Israeli artist Yehuda Bacon and uh, seeing he and Gidon reminisce together was really moving. I mean, they're both beautiful and sad and wonderful stories in the same way. What was the name of your relative Gidon that, who played the viola? His name was Fritz Samish. He was uh, my grandfather on my mother's side. He actually had fought in the First World War and was decorated for bravery. So when the rumbling started in Czechia with the Germans taking over the Sudetenland and the rest of the country, he felt very safe. He said, what can they do to me? I fought for them 
in the First World War. Here, they gave me a decoration. Take a look. But of course, he ended up in Terezin. And from Terezin, he was sent to uh, Warsaw. And as far as we know, he died in Treblinka, just outside of Warsaw. At Bet Terezinstadt, the museum you mentioned, Philip, um, we yeah. went as part of our information gathering and also Yad Vashem, of course. But at Bet Terezinstadt, we said, why on earth would a transport be sent from Terezinstadt to a ghetto, to the Warsaw ghetto? And uh, there were a couple of transports and Gidon's grandfather yeah. and his uh, wife and child were on that transport. And then the gross action took place about two months after they got to Warsaw. So we think that's what happened. But this viola was actually a Stradivarius. And oh, wow. Gidon's grandfather gave it to a neighbor when he went to Terezinstadt and said, hang on to this for me. Gone. All is gone. It's fascinating to hear you talk about the fact that as a six-year-old, you were kind of in your own bubble, I guess, and not necessarily aware of everything that was going on, but you could see it around you to some extent. I actually have a quote. I, I interviewed a few of the survivors, including one lady called Greta Klingsberg, who was the last remaining survivor of the original cast of Brunderbar, which was the children's wow. opera. Yes. Uh, she lived in Jerusalem at the time, this is 20 years ago. One of the things that Greta was talking about was this fact that you would be rehearsing a play or a production, cabaret, whatever it was, and you didn't know if the cast were going to turn up one day to the next because of a transport or anything else. And the, the quote she said to me, which I thought was fascinating, was they didn't know where the transports to the east terminate. They, they were just called transports to the east in her world. She said, you knew something, it's not to a better place. We're not going to Switzerland. This idea that a whole community was trying to keep the children safe, trying to keep them hidden from the, the reality of it, was fascinating to me at the time. And then you're looking at what's happening now in Ukraine and you, what's happened in previous wars as well, and how precious the children are, and the memories that you have, and the stories that you're telling now are so vital. So obviously, we're delighted to have you on the podcast. And thank you for sharing that. I hope that when we ask you questions about favorite foods and things, that it doesn't feel frivolous. It does not feel frivolous. Don't I guess worry. because it's life. Excellent. Even if it's not hakol. Okay. In a section of our show, which we like to call Duolingo, we'd be interested to hear your favorite Jewish, Yiddish or Hebrew expressions and why you love them. So Gidon, do you have a particular one that you enjoy? In Yiddish, let's see. My mother had an expression that was actually German Yiddish. But I don't remember the exact word. Okay. Essentially, when she was doubtful that somebody is going to do something good, so she said, It won't happen now, maybe by next summer. <laughs> what was all about children running with knives? Or... Ah, that's in German. Uh, yeah, there's an exp <laughs> there was a saying, Messer Gabel Schere Licht ist für kleine Kinder nicht. But it's more German than Yiddish. What does it mean? It means Messer. Knives, shage, scissors. scissors, fire and light are not for little children. My grandma was German from Frankfurt um, and she had many similar expressions, but somehow the phrasing of them was always a little bit sinister. And she was sort of <laughs> such a sweet woman, you know, she'd been through what she'd been through, but she was sort of a warm, sweet, you know, kindly natured person. And then she would say these things and the words were always like really harsh. I think that's a, <laughs> a feature of the language. <laughs> what about you, Julie? Have you adopted any specific you know, have, expressions that you love? From Gidon. In 2018, in the winter, we were in Jerusalem and we were at this little Yemenite silver shop. And Gidon bought me a beautiful little silver ring. Uh -huh. And it says the date and his name in English and his name in Hebrew. And on the fourth side, it says Hineni. And uh, there's a chapter in our book called Hineni. Because that's my favorite word in Hebrew, Expression. aside from yeah. Ahava and Neshama and many other nice words. But Hineni, because that's what Gidon does. He shows up. He is there. Count me in. And, you know, we, we do have a big age difference. And I'm, I'm much less optimistic than Gidon is. Uh, I'm from the 80s. <laughs> and so none of this stuff right now is working out the way I thought it would on my Vespa in 1982. So, <laughs> But Gidon 
just keep showing up through through illness, after loss, after war, after hardship, after grocery store visit. <laughs> Hineni, he is here. So Hineni is, uh, I think, a word that... It's an ancient... Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it comes from the Bible. Comes That's right. From the yeah. Well, I think Rachel is bursting to tell you that she has done an Edinburgh show, and the title, Rachel, is... Hineni. No way! Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was my show in 2019, and it was due to tour the UK and then Israel in 2020 and 2021. But I think we all know what happened then. It, everything went. But in theory, that it will come to Israel at some point, uh, my show Hineni. And it was about the idea of Behold, Here I Am, which is like the biblical translation, yeah. um, and being present in the moment and just accepting all the all the things about you in the moment are fine. That is so amazing. That is that. That's the word that comes to me about Gita. And uh, as I said, there's a chapter in our book about it because it's like, you know what, no matter what, and his TikTok today of him tap dancing, it's like, yeah, stuff is scary. Hineni, I'm here. Let me dance. Actually, when I was at drama school, there was a girl in our year who one day suddenly collapsed and she developed a tumor and had to go through all sorts of emergency surgery. And one of the classes we did the following year was a presentation class where you stand up and you sing a song as if you're going for an audition. And she sang the most beautiful rendition of a song called I'm Still Here, which just, I mean, it stopped the class. We were in tears because you had this beautiful person who had been struck down with this surprise illness that no one knew why. And the, the fact that she had the strength to fight through it, to come back. And then she sang that song. So I think I'm still here, Hineni, here I am, is such a powerful message. We're coming to the end, but we need to find out how our audience will know what you're up to. If you never call, you don't write. Uh, normally we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this, but for you, 30. So tell us about the book. Tell us about the podcast, anything you want to share, your social media. This is your chance. So we can be the title of the book is The True Adventures of Gidon Lev, Rascal, Holocaust Survivor, Optimist. And uh, we can be found at our website, www.thetrueadventures.com. And on Instagram and TikTok, we are at <coughs> The True Adventures. That's at The True Adventures. And we have a podcast by the same name, The True Adventures of Gidon Lev, which is available on all platforms that host podcasts. And the, the podcast is really interesting because we took the book and we got Ready it, we, we brought it to life. It has music. Um, we have the whole catalog of, of an amazing Israeli composer named um, Adi Goldstein. So the podcast is the book with all these extras, with music, with sound effects, with uh, live takes of Gidon today. So it's a totally different experience than the book um but yeah so it's the true adventures of Gidon Lev if you just google that even you'll find all of our offerings online but yeah we're on uh, TikTok every day and you can reach us uh, message us on Instagram if you um have something to share with us I wish that we could have recorded this ages ago and put it out for Valentine's Day because the most the the dynamic between the two of you is just inspirational gorgeous, gorgeous. <laughs> thank you <laughs> Okay. And next time I'm in Israel, we are definitely meeting for a coffee. Oh, for Good. sure. Well, I've really enjoyed this. And from now on, I will always think of Gidon as the Jew who will feed us luckers on TikTok and Julie as the Jew who loves her partner almost as much as a brisket. And as my grandfather used to say, I love seeing your smiling faces arrive and I love seeing your little tuchuses leave, which is a good thing as we've come to the end of this week's show. All that's left for us to do is to thank our guests, Julie Gray and Gidon Lev, Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jude Talking without the G. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share the show with everyone you know. And check out patreon.com forward slash Jude Talking still without the G. If it's not a chutzpah to ask, we'd love you to leave us a great review as it really does help other people find the show. And join us next time on Jude Talking to Me. <laughs> Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Wolkin and judged by our mothers. Oh, have they frozen? Yes. Oh, goodness. What's happened? I don't you know. You know what it is? It's the Zionists. <laughs> Can you guys oh. hear us? Yes, yeah. you were mid-sentence. We were on Spilkers. <laughs> we, my computer crashed, so we logged in on Gidon's computer. Okay. Um, oh, what do you... Don't do that. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> okay, don't do that. <laughs>
playing with a mouse over here.